It's Wednesday, September 15th, 2021. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim, Chet, Chesco. And hey, Chet, the Eagles open the season with a bang, blowing out the Atlanta Falcons. The Phillies are eh, all but officially done. They're now four and a half out with 18 to go. There's a big game in Happy Valley Saturday night when Auburn comes to town. The Phillies lost former owner Ruley Carpenter this week as well. Always so much to talk about. You know, the good news for Phillies uh, folks in the front offices there, Bill, football season is underway and most people are focusing on the birds now. So, uh, yeah, n- nobody really cares about the Phillies anyway. I know they're still theoretically alive, but no. Uh, Bill, we have such a jam-packed show tonight that I don't think we're going to have time to preview this Sunday night's Emmy Awards show. Sorry. Well, um, geez, maybe, well, you know, we have Brandon Lee Gowton's going to be joining us to, from Bleeding Green Nation to talk Eagles. And then uh, Paul Hagan, Philly's writer, is going to join us a little bit later. Maybe we could just bump Brandon and do Emmys. <laughs> What do you think? Uh, maybe not. We do have great <laughs> guests tonight. As you said, a couple of great guests, and BLG is patiently waiting, so let's get to it. All right, let's welcome Brandon Lee Gouton back to talk about the first place. Yes, first place after one week, Philadelphia Eagles. Brandon, welcome back. We're really not going to boot you for the Emmys. All right, that sounds good. Thanks for we having me. Boot, as always. We can boot Chet to talk Eagles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Brandon. Uh, Yeah, the the first place Philadelphia Eagles. I love it. I know it's only one week, but what the hell. Let's be honest. Game one of the Nick Sirianni era went pretty much about as well as could be expected, did it not? Really encouraging signs. Um, I think this team had a really good training camp, and there was some optimism building heading into the season, even though you know there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical about what this team would look like after such a bad season last year. And they went out, and they, they played with energy in week one. I thought the coaching was great in terms of both the play calling and the aggressiveness. I like seeing that. Uh, obviously, the quarterback played well. There's there's a lot of good signs from week one. You can't really poke too many holes from that victory about concerns moving forward. Yeah, Brandon, I, I tell you, the biggest thing that might take away from this game, couple, couple, uh, one is they took care of business beating the team that they were better than and, and left no doubt doing that. That's obviously a great sign. The other thing I thought, Nick Sirianni, I thought, did a great job with his game plan. It was a very low-risk game plan. Uh, he didn't put Jalen Hurts in many stressful situations. Fortunately, neither did the Falcons. Uh, but everything was short and and an easy game plan for uh, for the guys to work, and they did a great job at it. Yeah, I believe Jalen Hurts had like the uh, lowest average intended air yards in week one, so he wasn't like airing it out, and that's okay. I mean, obviously it worked for them. I think the Eagles actually led the league in yards after the catch from week one. Jalen Hurts, I thought, did exactly what was asked of him. I don't think you can necessarily have him do that every single week. You're going to have to air it out at some point, obviously. But uh, against the Falcons, it was able to work. I'm sure they will get a little bit more aggressive, and, and they're going to have to down the road. But uh, against a really bad Falcons defense, they kind of just saw a matchup they liked. They took advantage of it. And look, you know, it's Jalen Hurts' first start. As a week one starter, they're easing him in. I think it's kind of a good approach. Nick Sirianni coached to his strengths. Can't really complain about too much. 
Yeah, Hertz, I thought, was terrific. And there's a lot of excitement about the young Eagles wide receivers, Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager in his second year. You know, maybe he's a new guy this year. And, of course, Quez Watkins, who had a great training camp and uh, preseason. What do you think of those guys? Yeah, I thought we saw some good signs from all of them. Obviously, it was kind of funny to me that they started the game off with three straight targets to Quez Watkins, and then he didn't get involved again, but he was successful uh, early on. Uh, Devontae Smith is so good. I just think he's head and shoulders above. I mean, he's wide receiver one on this team, both in terms of targets in week one and receptions and yards and all of that. Um, you know, the touchdown pass or the touchdown reception, rather, was like a really good scheme play, but I mean, still executed it well. Um, no drops. Such a smooth route runner, knows how to get open, can get open reliably. I think we're going to see even bigger and brighter things from him. And Rager didn't wow me by any means, but, you know, he caught that pass on the on the screen and he took it to the end zone. He showed off his speed on that play. So, you know, another positive sign from him. Overall, you know, I don't think anyone's going to be mistaking this wide receiver's course for, you know, the best in the league. But they have some young guys here who have talent and potential, and I think they can maybe improve as the season goes along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other thing I was real happy about, Brandon, is that at halftime, uh, still a close game, the Eagles had run the ball just 10 times, and four of them were by Hertz. And I, I was a little concerned about that going into the half. But the offensive line took control of the game, um, and they ended up with 32 rushes, uh, eight by Hertz, 15 by Sanders, nine by Gainwell, who, met, who had a nice game too in his first outing. Um, you know, how many years have we been saying, grind it out, run the football, run the football, and they were in a situation. They took what they were given, and uh, the offensive line blew them off the football. Yeah, and I mean, Miles Sanders looks really good in terms of having a lot of juice. He had some big runs. Kenny Gainwell, I think, looks pretty solid, especially for you know a day three rookie who didn't even play football last year because he you know he opted out last season of, of college football. So uh, encouraging signs in that regard, like you said, Bill, the offensive line I thought did some really great things in the run game. So you, you figure that's going to be continue uh, or continue to be a big part of the offense moving forward. And then Hertz's mobility is is huge in that two minute drill. I mean, how many times was he able to kind of sidestep pressure? Uh, take off, get some easy yards, get out of bounds, to stop the clock, move the chains. That is a really big factor, and it's good to see the Eagles are leaning into that. They're not trying to like you know force Jalen Hurts into just being a pocket passer. They took advantage of his mobility, and Hurts, to his credit, took advantage of the right times to run. He didn't force the issue. I thought in general he did a really good job of protecting himself too. He wasn't like taking off and you know getting hit, taking these big hits for the most part. So that was really good to see. All right, now let's face it, the Falcons' offensive line isn't great, but uh, the Eagles' D-line did look pretty good. They got lots of pressure. Uh, Hargrave looks like a new guy this year. Well, if those guys can stay healthy, I think that's going to be you know, a real benefit to that Eagles' defense. Yeah, and J- Javon Hargrave had like a really good training camp too. So like yeah. when I saw this in League One, it wasn't like, you know, oh, where did this guy come from? I mean, he was amazing in training camp. He was arguably the best camp of any player. He was living in the backfield. And I think he kind of had like a better game than you really realized at first until the end because like at, it's kind of at the end is when he had those two sacks to force turnovers and downs and the game was kind of already in hand or at least mm-hmm. they were kind of closing it out at that point. But, you know, I, I didn't think the stats were there early on, but he was really disruptive still. I, I think he, he had a big uh, hit, I believe, on Matt Ryan at one point and they completed it anyway and they converted a third down, I believe the Falcons did. But still, like getting in his face and getting pressure and kind of being there all game long clearly wore down on the Falcons and eventually they didn't have the answers for it, especially when the Falcons were in these obvious passing situations. They couldn't run the ball anymore. So, yeah, I think Hargrave is going to continue to have a really big season. His career high in sacks is 6.5. I mean, he's already at two. I think he's going to blow by that, especially with the 17th game. Uh, I think he's definitely 
a big reason to feel good about this team and this defensive line. Yeah, and, and speaking of the rest of the defense, I think they I think they did a real nice job. One, getting their feet underneath them. Uh, you know, I think they came flying out and everybody was flying around. They were they were over pursuing. They weren't protecting their gaps. And, you know, the Falcons gashed them the first two times down the field. Uh, let's say, I don't know the exact number, but call them two 80-yard drives to get those field goals. That's 160 yards. Uh, they ended up, the Falcons, only getting 260 for the for the game. So 100, uh, only 100 yards after they settled in in the middle of the first uh, quarter. I thought a great job by the defensive coaches um, to, to get them back together and by the defensive players settling down, getting their feet under it was a really impressive defensive performance, all told. I mean, you know, they didn't allow a touchdown. It didn't allow a play over 20 yards, which I believe, uh, according to Shul Kapati, they were the only team in the NFL not to do that. I mean, that's that's pretty good stuff. And, and mind you, uh, this is Jonathan Gannon's first game in the NFL as a defensive coordinator. So that's, that's a pretty good start for him. And I think, you know, it's a good mix of talent and uh, and and the scheme here that they have going. Obviously, they have to clean up, clean up some of the tackling issues that they had. Eric Wilson was a big culprit. He had like four missed tackles in that game, especially early on. That's something, you know, maybe it's because they did go later in training camp and they didn't, you know, play in the preseason games that kind of they'll adjust to or something they can kind of work on. We'll see. Or, or maybe there's bad tacklers and that you're going to have to live with that to a little bit of an extent. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of encouraging signs on defense, even though, you know, all the offense and Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith are getting the hype. And one of the only other criticisms was the fact there were a lot of penalties uh, on the offense, you know, some false starts, that sort of thing. Uh, We can say maybe that was because the guys didn't play that much in the preseason. I mean, Lane Johnson had a few penalties. He's going to be fine. Uh, Were you concerned about that at all? I mean, there were a lot for the Falcons, too. I think there was like 25 or 24 in the game as a whole. And also, if I'm not mistaken, the Falcons also didn't play their starters. So maybe it is some of that. Uh, it's just some kind of rust you're knocking off. Maybe it's the refs kind of being a little bit more aggressive in week one, kind of, you know, like trying to set the standard for the season or whatever, or just trying to be too involved for our, our, our pleasure, probably. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's something, you know, those are those are things, especially, you know, the pre-snap stuff. I mean, you just got to clean that up. That's, that's stuff that has to be ironed out in practice and everything. Mm-hmm. How about the Jalen Hurts jersey sales? And they went absolutely (laughs) crazy on Monday. And uh, I guess that's nationwide. They weren't buying them all in Philly. Uh, So Hurts Hurts certainly made a good showing in his his first 2021 game. Yeah, I mean, a really encouraging performance from the Eagles' second-year quarterback. Uh, Again, that low uh, intended air yards thing is something to watch. He's going to have to be more aggressive. Defenses are probably going to challenge him, maybe try to take away some of that short stuff. And he has really good touch on the deep ball. So I'm not really worried about that as much as I am kind of some of the intermediate passing game and the timing and everything and getting the ball out at the proper time. So, you know, a lot of tests uh, here to come for him, but a great start. Uh, and even yeah. though, you know, he was maybe kind of taking some shorter throws and taking what the defense gave him and the Eagles were really playing to his strengths. I mean, he, he made some good plays too. Some that, that touchdown throw to Dallas Goddard was not anything yeah. schemed up. That was, you know, him scrambling out and making a really good play, being on the same page with his target, making a really good throw. So uh, there were some plays in there, you know, that weren't just about like the coaching staff, you know, boosting him up. It was about him making plays. And again, the mobility I brought up is a huge factor for him. So it's a really encouraging and uh, I can see why, you know, people are buying that number one jersey. It's a good yeah, look, too. Yeah. I like, I like let, the number let one follow, a lot more. Let, let me follow up on that real quick, too, because one thing I was really surprised from the Falcons' standpoint, they uh, Lane Johnson kept caving in that right side, allowing Hurts to roll right time and time again. 
If you're going to make him roll, make him roll left, right? I mean, you make him go to his weak side. He's rolling to his right, and it was just, you know, shoot fish in a barrel. It was easy for him. It's too easy. Again, like you, you saw him do it and be able to throw the ball. You saw him do it, be able to, again, that two-minute kind of situation, just get a bad bounds, stop the clock, get some free yards. It's it's just it's a really nice part of the offense to have when, like, everything – and Nick Sirianni talked about that, too. He said he, – he credited Jalen Hurts, and he said, you know, we had some things break down, and then him just being able to run like that kind of got us into good looks and kind of bailed us out. I think it was last February when we first met Nick Sirianni. We were all kind of worried, like, uh-oh, this guy's uh, a little goofy. He may not may not have been the best of choices. But, boy, he has grown on the Philly fan base over the last couple of weeks and months for sure. And what was really impressive to me, I thought, was how prepared they looked for you know a week one game. Other than the penalties here and there, I mean, he looked like he knew what he was doing with play calling. Everybody was ready in their right spots. Uh, what's your impression now of Sirianni? Yeah, I mean, we even saw that a little bit. I know they didn't play much in the preseason, but the first preseason game the starters did play, like, the, the offense looked smooth. It didn't look like yeah. there was a lot of clunkiness to that. So, And then you saw that again in week one here. It seems like the team was indeed well-prepared. I, I thought Sirianni has done a good job as a motivator just because even like the game itself, uh, you're seeing the post-game uh, locker room reaction. And then in going back to those joint training camp practices where the starters did play you know, against the other uh, starters from the Patriots and the Jets, the Eagles always just like look like the more energized team. And that's something you get often, obviously, out of Nick Sirianni. It's his energy. That's something he brings to the table, and I think that's kind of rubbing off, and, that, and that's like they're, they're creating an environment where there is a lot of passion and energy, and that's obviously a very relatable thing to Philadelphia sports fans. So yeah, uh, you, you can't help but like to see that. Um, and I think it's good. And I think they're, you know, Sirianni today talked about how he wants to see Devontae Smith dancing in the postgame locker room because like, you worked hard to get this win. You should be able to celebrate it. And then you should have that hunger to go out next week to go get that and be able to do that again. So I, I think they're, he has a good approach. And again, I just love the aggressiveness too. I mean, the Eagles are down, or, or they, you know, they go down and they get the touchdown and there's the penalty and they could have just taken the, you know, the extra point that they made, but instead they go for two. And now they're up two possessions going into halftime and then they get the ball back. That was a huge moment so uh, I know they didn't convert on those fourth downs but I still like being aggressive there I think that's going to work out in the long run and I think that you know the no fear mentality is a good thing to have so really good debut by a guy who had literally never called plays as a main play caller in a game before yep yep what what meant on defense uh they stopped the run well uh what'd you think about linebackers there were linebackers in the game Wilson two two tackles seven assists singleton Two tackles, five assists officially. Uh, linebackers making plays for goodness sake. Yeah, it was interesting because the Eagles like really rotated a lot of guys in there. I mean, Patrick Johnson's in there at one point. Jannard Avery is playing too way too much for my liking. I, I don't. I think he has to. They kind of got to cut that down. I don't think he was really doing much of anything, especially in a positive way out there. Uh, Eric Wilson, I think, saw the field a little bit less than he did early on, just because of he was struggling in run defense. So. Uh, they have a lot of bodies at that position. I think they kept seven on the roster. Davion Taylor was hurt last week, so he didn't play. So they had six up. Uh, but they're, it seems like they're kind of trying to work through that. I mean, obviously, I think Wilson and Singleton in general are going to be the top guys. Um, but it seems like they're kind of rotating through there and trying to figure things out. I think at the very least, you can say, like, there isn't any kind of disaster player like there was in Nate Gary last year. I think that's, you know, a big upgrade to have some kind of level of competency there helps a lot. Uh, but, yeah, that's what you're looking at right now. Hey, uh, speaking of the defense, what did you think, Brandon, of the little celebration that the D-line guys were doing? I like it. Again, hey, look, 
<laughs> when were the Eagles at their their best in 2017? They're having a lot of fun. They were celebrating. They were cutting it loose. I, I think that's important for a team to have this kind of energy, this swagger. And again, like this isn't like the first drive of the game. This was later in the game when this happens. Like they earned the right to celebrate. They played really well. They were kicking the Falcons' butts. They were dominating them, especially the defensive line matchup going against just quite frankly an overmatched. Falcons offensive line where they had, you know, a rookie third round pick starting uh, at left guard there, Jalen Mayfield. Um, so, yeah, it's great. Hey, on the injury front, uh, is Epps out and are there any other major injuries that came out of that game? Yeah, so Marcus Epps was not officially practicing today, uh, listed as did not participate on the injury report, but he was at practice on a side field. He was doing some stuff. That's typically, like I think, a good sign because if you're in the concussion protocol, um, there's a stage where you're not even allowed to go outside and you know and be there at practice. So it seems like he's kind of advanced in it. Uh, it seems like he might have a chance to be back this week. I don't know if Rodney McLeod will play still because he's been he was limited all last week. He was limited today. We'll see how it goes on Thursday and Friday and what his status is. But I'm guessing he still might be out. And if that's the case, Epps might start again this week. Well, Brandon, one guy who had a great game uh, plays a position that we rarely speak about, and that's Aaron Sipas. He's the new punter, the Australian punter. He was good. <laughs> he was. And honestly, like – when you looked at his background in terms of apparently, so some of the things I had read about when the Eagles signed him is that he was like neck and neck in a punting competition last year with Jack Fox from the lions. And for people who don't know, like Jack Fox is arguably like the best punter in the NFL, or at least he's up there. It's one of the, the few bright spots that the lions have going for them. So, uh, and the lions liked him enough to keep him on their practice squad all last year, even though they had a really good punter. So that kind of shows you, Oh, this guy might have some talent. And sure enough, the Eagles signed him. And at the time, it's interesting because uh, Cameron Johnson was still on the roster. I think a lot of people thought they were just going to re-sign him and yeah. just retain him as their punter, but they didn't. Texans signed him to a big deal, and all of a sudden, Sipas comes in here. He's unproven. I think he had a good training camp, good preseason, and now he's doing it in the regular season games. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jordan, one more thing before we move on to next week. Uh, Jordan Malata, uh, he just he just signed a big deal. He's going to be around a while. Uh, and, and a lot of great things being said about him, and and as a potential Pro Bowl player and, you know, just all kinds of accolades, uh, you get to see more than any of the rest of us. What do you think about Jordan Malata? And is he is he all that? I think Jordan Malata, um, like there was a perception or there, it could have been perceived that, well, he just won the left tackle job just because Andre Dillard was so bad in training camp and Andre Dillard was really bad. But it wasn't just about that. It was also that Jordan Malata – was legitimately looking really good and the best he's ever been. So I think he's taken another step forward. I think, you know, having that starting experience from last year, he took that, he built upon that, and now he's going out and proving himself. And and it's a really good point raised by you, Bill, because it's like, okay, now we know he won the left tackle job. Now we know he's a starter and that's, that's all good. But like, just how good can he be? Can he be a Pro Bowl player? Maybe. I, I think that the ceiling is there for that, but that's like the question mark now. Just how good of a left tackle can he be? I think there's reasons to feel encouraged about it. He's still young. I think he's still getting better. He's still like getting experience because he didn't play football for forever. So, uh, yeah, I think the arrow is very much pointing up on him. So, Brandon, week two, the 49ers at the link. It's the bird season or home season opener. Uh, if they win this week, should we just go out and start looking for Super Bowl tickets? <laughs> well, I mean, they go 2-0. Uh, it's, it's a good sign in NFL history. Uh, and then, you know, they get Dallas in Dallas next week, who they're just they just lost to Marcus Lawrence, so not a good sign yeah. for them. They're, they're going to be out with some other players. So, uh, yeah, I mean – 
But keeping it one week at a time, this is a big opportunity, you know, against the 49ers team that is obviously, you know, good on paper and they're healthier than they were last year. Um, their quarterback situation is a little bit better than it was last year, certainly when the Eagles were facing them, when the, or the Eagles were going up against Nick Mullins. But uh, look, the 49ers let the Lions back into the game. I think the 49ers aren't really feeling all that amazing that they as, as they wanted to after kind of dominating uh, Detroit for most of that game. And I think it's an interesting opportunity here for the Eagles. I mean, that the link is going to be just, I can't even imagine. This is their first game with a full crowd of fans since January 2020. I think the link is going to be nuts. And I think this is a really hostile environment that the 49ers are entering. Yep. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting three-week block here, I think. You know, they the coaches like to break these things into four-game blocks. Um, first, first one was good. 49ers, Cowboys, and Chiefs, uh, that, that's a tough first block for, for Sirianni and the guys. It'll be interesting to see uh, how they come out of this thing. If they if they come out 3-1, and one, I think you got to be really, really, really happy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's and honestly, you know, their schedule, a lot of the meat of their schedule, at least in terms of the NFC East, isn't until later in the year. So if you can kind of even just tread water, like kind of lower the the bar there even a little bit. I mean, you have a chance to make a run late in the season. So, I mean, if you're baking wins now and you're doing good, then hey, even better. Then you're getting into late into the year. Then then it's even more favorable at that point. So yeah, it's a, it's a good test early on to kind of see what this team really is. Last question, Brandon. Sixers issue. I think you know what it is. Uh, when the season ah, opens October twentieth, oh, no. will Ben Simmons still be on the roster? Please say no. <sighs> I mean, I want to say no. I can't. I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I cannot watch the Sixers. I am boycotting the Sixers if Ben Simmons is on the team. I can't do it. I can't watch the Sixers if Ben Simmons is on this. I just, what's the point? We all know how it's going to end. I can't do it. A report comes out today from Tom Moore that he's going to be on the team or whatever. Yeah. Sixers are preparing for that. It's it's a nightmare kind of situation for me. I, I honestly, I read that report, and I feel ready to check out because I can't do it. I can't watch him play for the Sixers. I can't do it. I hear you. <laughs> One final thing for me, Brandon, the Buffalo Bills announced today that they are the going to be the fourth NFL team, I guess, that is going to require vaccinations to get into the stadium. Do you see that coming to Philly? Um, I wonder. Yeah, I, I haven't heard anything about it. Um, I would think, you know, the Eagles typically tend to be, I mean, you know, you look at how they handled the fan situation last year. A lot of teams who, especially the Cowboys, just for example, who pretty much had fans the whole year where the Eagles, it took them a little bit. And and then part of that was obviously part of the city of Philadelphia having to give clearance and everything. Um, but then it was also taken away a little bit later in the year. And even when the Eagles did have fans in there, there was a pretty conservative amount. It wasn't like they were really pushing that limit. So uh, when I look at that, maybe uh, that's, that could be possible, but I don't know. Okay. All right. Hey, before we let you go, uh, all your social media things, throw them out there so everybody that's following can follow you because uh, you always have a ton of stuff going on. You're great to great to follow. Well, thank you. Uh, at uh, Brandon Gowton on Twitter, Instagram, uh, bleedingyournation.com for obviously all the written content. There's the Bleeding Your Nation podcast feed where I'm doing like a billion podcasts a day. And then there's also the SB Nation NFL show where we talk about, you know, not only the Eagles sometimes, but obviously the NFL, all 32 teams at large. And that's obviously really kicking in the gear with the season deck. So uh, a lot of good stuff. And also the Bleeding Your Nation YouTube channel, too. We're doing post-game reaction shows nice. there right after. The, uh, the Eagles either win or lose, obviously, hopefully win over the 49ers. So uh, that'll be there as well. Busy guy. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate you taking the time. Let's do it again. Always Sounds great. Sounds good. All right. Yes. Thanks, my friend. See you, Brandon. All right, Jed. 
if your couch is getting more mileage than your car, it's time for you to start saving with Allstate's pay-as-you-go auto insurance. You know it, Bill. Uh, Allstate's pay-as-you-go auto insurance puts you in control. You only pay for the miles you drive with the same full coverage that a traditional policy offers. Pay-per-mile insurance gives customers greater control of their insurance costs. See how much you can save with pay-per-mile car insurance by calling your local agent. In Westchester, Pennsylvania, that's Dave LaVoy. Call Dave at 610-430-0700. Once again, 610-430-0700. 700 and start to save more now that you are driving less. Come on, Merle, don't let me down. Hi, football fans, this is Merrill Reese, and you're listening to Bill and Chet on Philly Press Box Radio. It's good. Oh, yeah, it's great to have Merrill back. Uh, He and Mike do such a great job. Bill, hang on a second before we go any further. I got some breaking news here, and we have to go to our reporter on the scene. So uh, let's see what's happening here. I'm not sure what exactly this is. but Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm Kevin Nealon. Our top story tonight, it appears that happy birthday wishes are in order. We are monitoring things closely as details continue to come in, but it seems, yes, I have confirmation. We're talking about you, Bill. Happy birthday. You're now at that age when you can't be sure if it's just a fart. Other Kevin, what are your thoughts on all this? Speechless, Kevin. Wow. Just wow. Insightful as always. Thank you. Here's to you, good sir. (laughs) Here's to you, my friend. Thank you. That was great. Speechless. I am speechless. Tomorrow is the big day, Bill. You are another year older. We won't say how old. uh, I have to say you caught me mighty off guard with that one. Good stuff. (laughs) Good. That was my goal. I appreciate that. All right. (laughs) Let's get back on track here. Uh, Huge game happening in State College Saturday night. The Auburn Tigers and game day roll into Happy Valley Jet for a full stadium whiteout. It's an amazing atmosphere at Beaver Stadium. If you've never been to a whiteout, it is really something special. Uh, what do you think? Oh, man, uh, it, it is going to be a great, a, quite a scene. The Lions off to a 2-0 and start after thrashing Ball State last weekend. Auburn coming to Happy Valley for the first time, if I heard right. Ohio State lost over the weekend, so that's good news for Penn State. The Nittany Lions now number 10 in the nation. The potential is there all of a sudden for this to be a a fun, special season. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is a big one. And, and, you know, what's really kind of funny about this is uh, the fans are just jacked out of their minds already. And James Franklin is pumping that all up and has been since... We do not have – no more breaking news. No more. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, James Franklin's fired up, got everybody going, and uh, it's going to be really exciting. And like I say, if you've never been to uh, a whiteout, it's really something special. I think the Lions are favored by about six points, so, you know, hopefully it plays out that way. I'll take any kind of win. I don't care. That's right. And and then don't forget you got Villanova coming up. Yeah, that should be an easy one. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. 25th. All right, we'll look forward to that Saturday night primetime. Hey, Chet, Phillies are all but about finished, I think. They've fallen back to 500, 72 and 72. They're four and a half games out of first place. 
they do have some outside chances a while at a wild card spot somehow. Uh, September hasn't been good to them, and I guess they are what they are. They're a 500 team. Yeah, they've been right at 525 times this season, which is pretty amazing. But yeah, that is who they are. Uh, they're just so damn frustrating, Bill. The series against the worst. The worst visiting team in the National League, the Rockies, last week, and they lose three out of four. That pretty much did me in. Then a home loss to the awful Cubs. Please get this season over. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, we're going to get to the bottom of it uh, with longtime Phillies writer Paul Hagan is going to join us. Paul, welcome back. Help us figure out what in the world is going on with the Phillies in September yet again. Yeah, it's uh, it's become quite a pattern, and you know the thing yeah. that that I wonder about now is if you remember uh, two years ago, um, Matt Clintack and Andy McPhail both wanted to bring Gabe Kapler back. John Middleton said he wanted to think about it, decide to overrule them, and his uh, reasoning was, well, the Phillies have faded down the stretch both years. Well, here we are after two years of Joe Girardi, and the same thing's happening. So I guess my question is. Does the same rule of thumb apply to Joe Girardi? And whatever happened to that Gabe Kapler guy? How's he doing? <laughs> I, I have to be—I have to be honest. I—I I was not um, opposed to the idea of making the change. Uh, I just didn't feel like Gabe was resonating here. Uh, I didn't think he was connecting with the players or the fans. Uh, I don't know what's going on in San Francisco. I don't know if he's changed. If it's just the different market, uh, different, uh, whole different worldview in san francisco uh but clearly he's doing something right and uh and they, they're having a great year but i i still don't think that he would have replicated that kind of success if he'd have stayed here yeah hey before we got before we talk about the current phillies a little more uh i want to get to this for sure um we found out monday evening that former phillies owner ruley carpenter passed away earlier that day he was a key figure in phillies history of course his family owned the team since the 1940s he inherited it, i guess in uh 71 or 72 and then he was the team's owner from 72 to 81 i know you were in texas at that time covering the rangers in the 1970s but I know you know the history. Those nine or ten years were rather eventful times for the franchise, were they not? Oh, they were. And, uh, you know, I know enough about Ruley to, to know, and I met him a few times, uh, most recently uh, at the uh, memorial service for Larry Shank's wife uh, just a month or so ago. Um, but Ruley, uh, he, he loved the scouts. He loved the, the player development aspect of, of baseball. And, um, and I also think it's it's fair to say he was one of the, the last of the, the sportsman owners, uh, the Yawkeys, uh, you know, the people like that, um, the Bushes. Uh, and, and that's, you know, both a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, they didn't feel the need to make every last dollar off their team because they had money. Uh, they enjoyed the sport of it and the competitive aspect of it. Um, but they also um, made decisions kind of based on that, too. Gussie Bush traded Steve Carlton because Steve Carlton wanted a small raise. Uh, Ruley got out because Claudio Washington got a million dollars or a million yeah. six or whatever it was, and he thought that was too much. So, you know, uh, but but you do kind of it does kind of make you nostalgic to to steal a phrase when it was a game. Well, you know, and uh, one of our pals, uh, Mark Carfagno, Froggy. I don't know if you know him. He's ground crew guy for for the Phillies for years <laughs> yes, and years. No, and, and he, you know, right. he commented that that Ruley used to sit down there with them guys behind home plate. And watch the game through the window because he didn't like all that hype and circumstance. He wanted to be hanging out with the guys. He was that kind of owner. 
well, that and plus, I mean, what a what a that's even better than a box seat behind home plate, right? Right. I mean, to be to be right behind the plate, uh, that's about as close to the action as you're going to get. And uh, yeah, I mean, he he obviously loved baseball and uh, and loved scouting, and and um, he was he was old school in that way. And you know, I, I think uh, I think a little more of that would, uh, would go a long way these days. I guess one of the key uh, things that happened during his time, you know, he brought Dick Allen back. They got to the playoffs a couple of times in the mid and late 70s. And then in 1980, a year after he brought in this guy, they finally won it all, Pete Rose. Uh, was that a move that he wanted to make or was that uh, Paul Owens or, you know, who who was uh, the guy who spearheaded that, you know? Well, I've always heard that, that Bill Giles was the, really the driving force behind that, uh, at least in terms of figuring out figuring out how to pay for it, um, you know, because that was a lot of money at the time. And yeah. uh, I, I know I'm pretty sure Ruley didn't want to pay the whole bill. But if you if you remember the story, uh, Bill went to the TV station that was uh, broadcasting the games at the time, convinced them that uh, that the Phillies would be a much, uh, a much more valuable broadcast asset for them with Pete Rose and what he could bring to the team and helping them win. And uh, so it was pretty creative uh, that Bill was able to do that. And uh, and get P Rose here without the team having to pay for the whole bill. Hmm. Excellent. Well, hey, let's jump back over to the current Phillies if we must. Oh, uh, we, I guess we have, we have to. to. <laughs> I guess we have to. But Paul, I want to ask you. You covered them for a long time. The thing that there, there's many things that irritate me about this team, but uh, what what gets me the most is we have a bullpen that is not very good, can, you know, consistently across the board, but especially now that we're in the expanded rosters of September, no one has a pitching slot. Every Somebody, it seems like somebody new gets thrown in every night and you got all this hodgepodge of guys, you know, with baseball guys, they say, are creatures of habit like no other. Well, if you're pitching the eighth inning today and the fifth inning tomorrow and not for three days, and then you're pitching the seventh, how do you expect guys to be consistent and be good? Well, I mean, to me, that's a little bit of little bit of an excuse um you know if i'm a pitcher and i'm in the seventh inning or the ninth inning or the fourth inning uh my job is still the same my job is to execute my pitches and and get the hitter out uh but we all we all you're right i mean baseball is a very mental game uh the stats prove that closers uh who are pitching in non-safe situations just don't have the same stats as they do when when they're in safe situations um same thing with the lineup. You know, hitters like to know where they're hitting in the lineup. So I guess there's something to that. Uh, it, it's kind of hard these days, and especially because I'm not down there like I used to be. I'm nice to be down there every day and talk to people, know really know what's going on. Now with uh, with the, the COVID and the Zoom conferences and the, the really the inability to, to work the room the way we used to be able to, it, it's hard to know exactly what's going on. Um, but... Um, there, it's not ideal, clearly. Uh, but on the other hand, it's not like anybody has really, you know, grabbed the bull by the horns and said, yes, I'm your setup guy. Yes, I'm your closer. Yes, I'm your seventh inning guy. Um, so, you know, if nobody's doing the job, well, you can't keep running the same people out in the same situations if they're not succeeding either. So sometimes that balance, I think, is a little hard to find. And, and I just get the sense... I mean, it, it feels like, uh, and, and I'm not letting Joe Girardi off the hook, but it seems like 
if he takes the, the starter out too early, it backfires. If he leaves him in too long, it backfires. You know, if he uses pitcher A, B, or C in the eighth inning, it backfires. Um, <laughs> maybe that maybe they just aren't good enough. I don't know. Yeah, I think that is the case. Uh, well, speaking of pitching, what the heck's going on with Aaron Nola? He is not the guy that we thought was a number one pitcher. He doesn't even look like a number three much of the time. Now he will throw a few good innings, and all of a sudden the fourth or fifth inning comes around. He can't get out of the inning. Is he hurt? Is he just uh, did we overvalue him? What's happening with him? Well, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to guess because I haven't had a chance right. to really do the kind of reporting that we used to get to do on this. But the the first thing that occurs to me is. Every once in a while, he still dials up one of those classic Aaron Nola games uh, that he threw a lot of in uh, the, a few yeah. years ago when he finished third in the Cy Young voting. So to me, that kind of indicates that that injury is not the issue. Uh, so I would guess mechanics because mechanics can come and go uh, a little bit. And um, I just don't know. You know, I, I know he's he's worked on it. I've seen it on TV. They've had shots of him, you know, throwing on the side between his starts and 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 working on his mechanics. But uh, you know, he is not an overpowering guy. He needs to locate. Uh, he needs to get the ball to move. He needs to keep the ball down. You know, be able to put the ball where he wants to. And uh, he just has not been able to do that consistently. And you know, this is the big leagues, and you can make you can make four straight pitches, put them right where you want. And if the fifth one is off just a six inches or a foot, you can get hammered. Um, you know, you can throw three straight great curveballs, but if you hang one, it's going to get hammered probably. So I, I think it's probably just a matter of mechanics. Uh, but how fixable that is, I'm not sure, because I think if you if you kind of take the wider view, he's <coughs> kind of regressed since that great year. Yeah. Uh, not all at once, but it, it seems like he – was a little off that the next year and a little off at the next year, and now he's even further off at this year. Well, Paul, the, the minor league uh, managerial situation got a, got a house cleaning, uh, which was probably much needed. But what worries me is there's there's not much down there, it doesn't look like. They had their, their prize pupil in Alec Baum. They've now sent him back down. Hazley didn't make it back to the big leagues. Moniac is certainly struggling. Um, is, is this farm system fixable or we got to start over and, and see what happens? Well, I mean, a farm system always starts over every year at the draft. So in that sense, I, I think, you know, it, yes, yeah, you have to start over, but um, the Phillies are in a really tough situation. Uh, they're a 500 team, so they're not going to get a real high draft choice. Um, they are at over $200 million, and John Middleton said he doesn't want to go over the, the luxury tax threshold. You don't really have players to trade or any of the prospects to trade. Um, you're not going to trade for a big contract. So I'm not really sure <clears throat> I'm not really sure where you go to make this team better because it seems like all the, the usual ways that you would do that are kind of closed off to you right now. And the one thing in my 30 almost 35 years here in Philadelphia, uh, they abhor the word uh, rebuilding. They, they try to stay away from rebuild, um, you know, because they, they think, and they're probably right, that uh, people will be reluctant to, to show up and watch the games on TV and listen to them on the radio. Uh, if, if you are admitting, you're probably going to lose 100 or more games in the coming season. And, and plus, I don't think any of us like, like the whole tanking thing anyway. 
So they are really, I, I think, backed into a corner. And Dave Dombrowski, uh, I don't know exactly what they're paying him, but he's he's going to be worth every penny of it if he, if he can figure this one out. Um, if there's a designated hitter in the National League next year, which a lot of people think will happen, what will that mean for the Phillies? Will they have Hoskins and Bohm sharing the time as the DH? Or you know, what do you, how do you see that playing out? Well, I think that would be the logical uh, guess right now. Uh, those, I mean, they're two guys on the corners who have shown some offensive ability and have really uh, both regressed badly defensively this year. Ray Dittinger calls them the corner butchers. <laughs> well, that's what makes Ray what Ray is. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, he, he's right. It's uh, it's yeah. really disheartening, especially since last year. I remember people saying, "Well, you know, Bohm, we'd we'd been told he was rough defensively, but he's not that bad, and he wasn't." Mm. And and I don't recall Reese Hoskins being this shaky in the field yeah. either. So. Um, you know, defense is, is clearly uh, an area that, that gets overlooked sometimes. But when you have a team that, that has been as poor defensively as the Phillies have at a lot of different positions all year, it really drives home, you know, why that is a, a really, really important part of the game. Mm-hmm. Paul, I have one more question for you. Uh, we're talking all these negatives. Uh, Bryce Harper has just been splendid. I mean, he's, he's everything you could ask for this year. And I said to Chet, I guess it was last week on this show, I just love watching the guy play because he just loves to play. And I, and I wasn't this gigantic Harper fan even before they got him, but the kid just loves to play. He does. And um, I remember uh, a few years ago when, when he and Mike Trout were both sort of coming up together, somebody said to me, well, if you could take one or the other, who would you take? And I, I kind of begged off. I said I hadn't really seen enough of – you know, either one of them at that point to, to make that judgment. But the one thing that I did say, Harper plays hard, which you love. And I'm not saying Trout doesn't play hard, mm-hmm. but Harper plays with such abandon that he gets hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. And he's gotten hurt a lot this year. And you can't blame him if he gets hit in the face with a pitch. You can't blame him for that. Um, you know, if he has a sore shoulder, you can't blame him for that. But um, that that is the one drawback, I think. But he does... Um, you know, he, uh, we all remember uh, the uh, electricity that went through this city when the Phillies signed him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he he's probably never going to be the player that people who think that just because you make $330 million, you should be Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Joe DiMaggio all rolled up into one, which isn't really feasible. <laughs> but I think he has certainly been everything that the Phillies could have expected him to be. And the hope now is just that he can continue to play at this level uh, for many, many more years. Absolutely. All right. Chad, any final questions for Paul before we let him go? I just want to say it's going to be an interesting offseason, Paul. We'll talk to you again probably in January or February and see where it all stands. Don't we all, all say right. that at this time of year, though? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> we <right>. do. <laughs> well, true. Paul, thanks again for joining us, and uh, we certainly appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. All right. All right, Chet. It's time to make our NFC picks because time is running out. We've actually added an extra pick in there tonight. Hopefully you've got Boop's picks. uh, But first, let us know how we did last week. Yeah, well, we all had a few different picks, but when the dust settled, Bill, you and I were both three and one. 
while our expert, Bob Boop, was just two and two, thanks largely because he had the nerve to pick against the Eagles in week one. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Shame on you, Boop. That's right. So I lost. Uh, who I lost with who? The uh, the football team. Who did I lose? I don't even know which one. Yeah, I lost. you lost with the football team. I picked the Chargers in that one, but you picked Denver to beat the Giants, I believe, and I picked the Giants. So you know, it all balanced out for us. Gotcha. But we both picked the Cowboys to lose, and by God, they did. They played well, though. So give them credit. Ah, they lost. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, let's get to it. Uh, Here's what we have. Giants at Redskins or at Washington. Washington minus three and a half and minus their starting quarterback for the season, by the way. Uh, we tossed in the Kansas City at Baltimore game. Chiefs minus four. Dallas at the Chargers. Chargers minus three. 49ers come to Lincoln Financial Field to face the 1-0 and Eagles. The Niners are minus three and a half. So let's let Boop's picks go first. Then I'll go and you go last tonight, Chet. So who does Boop have in the Giants at Washington football team is minus three and a half. Now, let me explain this. Boop emailed me his picks last night, but I didn't look at them at all. So as to not be influenced one way or the other for making my picks. So I just kind of saw that he sent them. I uh, printed it out, have not looked at them, but let's see. Uh, for that first one, the Giants at Washington, he notes that these two accounted for two of the victims of the 8-0 and week one that two West divisions had in the NFL. Got to go with the team that at least had its starting quarterback survived the first 60 minutes. He is going with the New York football giants in that one. You? And that's exactly who I'm going with for the exactly the same reason. I'm I'm uh I'm not going with a Heineken this week. Uh I'm going Giants on the road. Uh I'm I'm thinking we might have two bad football teams, but we'll see. I don't like the Heineken Heineken the beer. I don't like Heineke the quarterback. I'm taking the Giants as well. Oh wow, surprise me. Yep. All right, Kansas City at Baltimore, Chiefs minus four. Uh, Chiefs came back with a nice win last week while the Ravens let one slip away. So uh, good game, though, on Monday night, by the way. Boops, yeah, it was great. Boop says Mahomes doesn't lose in September. KC over the Ravens. Yeah, I'm going to go KC as well uh, just because I think they're a better football team. We all agree. I have Kansas City as well. So uh, we agree so far. No, this isn't fun. Dallas at the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers minus three. Cowboys are losing players. Let's see. Boop says the Cowboys got Tom Brady Thursday night. Who hasn't? So you think they might back fairly easily? They might bounce back? No, they're going east coast, west coast. The last time Dallas opened like that was 2012. They won at the Giants in week one, but then they got clocked out in Seattle. He says the Chargers are the team to take here on the money line. Uh, so he's taking the Chargers. I'm taking the Chargers, too. Uh, I, I think Dallas played a little over their head in that Tampa Bay game. Uh, we'll see how it goes, but uh, I'm going Chargers at home on this one. I am as well. Dallas has a lot of injuries, plus I just love seeing them lose. So far, we are total agreement. Oh, this is no good. Okay. Right. 49ers, Eagles. I know me and you are going to take the Eagles. What do you, what about Boop? What's he saying? Wow. He says, I knew the Eagles would score 32 points last week. He says, I just thought it would be in the entire month of September. So he was impressed by what they did. He said, even though the Niners put up a league high 41 on the board, don't be afraid to bet an under here. He, he says it opened at 48 and was 50 by Tuesday. He's going with the alternative under. 
in 47 and a half to get the odds back in my favor. But his pick, wow, he is picking the Eagles. Wow. Holy crap. Well, I did not see I, that coming. I, I'm going to take the Eagles just again because uh, they're at home. Uh, I think it's going to be a good bounce back game. It's going to be a tougher game, obviously, but uh, I think they're going to bounce back off that win. And I'm going birds. I'm taking the birds also. Eagles 24 to 23 should be a great game. Can't wait. Wow. One pointer. Wow. Okay. Well, hey, I don't other... like that we all I don't like yeah, that I we know. all picked four and oh, but that is what it is. I don't like it either. A couple of other quick things from Boop. He sent me this. Nine teams managed to score in every quarter in week one. Only three teams did so in week one last year. A pair of week two games will match four of those teams, Eagles and Niners and Chiefs and Ravens. He's shopping around, going in on both the Chiefs and Ravens to do it again this week. He also notes that favorites were seven and nine straight up in week one. That's the first losing opening week for them, the favorites since at least 2000. He says, uh, you might think you'd get a bounce back this week. Don't count on it. So we shall see. Uh, it's tough to pick these games early in the year. So there's a couple of tips from Boop. And you can get more tips from Boop at Boop Stats, right? Boop Stats. Yeah, and bettersinsider.com. There you go. And thanks, uh, Boop. Check them out. And uh, thanks, Boop, for joining us. And we'll have him back here shortly. But we'll see uh, how his picks go. And by the way, Boop has uh, sent me some trivia stuff in envelopes. I didn't get to bring them in tonight and do it because I knew we were going to be pressed for time. But we're going to talk about it, you and me and Boop, and figure out how we can do this. He sent me a whole bunch of trivia questions with the answers in the envelope inside. So we can play along ourselves, maybe invite some of our viewers to play along with us. We'll start that up hopefully next week. All right. Good deal. We'll make it happen. Yep. All right, let's give a shout-out to all the shows that will be live on the Edge of Philly Sports Network this week, including this one. This episode is being streamed live across Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch. You can also catch all the action on www.eopsports.com. Help us out by hitting those subscribe, follow, like buttons, and as always, share with your family and friends. In addition to this great show, check out our partners in Philly Sports, including Edge of Philly Sports Live tonight. Check out Joe, Freddie, and Big Al as they cover four for four and so much more Philly sports. Watch live Wednesday tonight, 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. Bird's IQ, Kyle and Eric Quinn are back. Catch them Thursday night, 7 p.m. Talking all things birds. And the Patterson Avenue Fanatics every Saturday, 9 a.m. Wake up and have breakfast with the gang. TK, March, James, Dave, Paul, and Damon and get your Philly sports talk on. If you miss a show, no worries. Grab the podcast and all the major platforms along the way. Remember, you can stay up to date on all Philly sports by visiting eopsports.com with great articles from you staff of contributors. Subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You can sign up at eopsports.com. All, all right, right, Chad. Great guest tonight and Brandon Lee Gowton and Paul Hagan. Who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday? Well, next week, Bill, we will be hopefully talking about a 2-0 Eagles team. We shall see. But we will do uh, whatever we can to talk about the Eagles with one of our favorite guests. And it is this guy. You know him well. Former Inquirer.com sports columnist Paul Domowich. And by the way, if you haven't yet read Domo's farewell column in the paper or online from last week, do yourself a favor and check it out. Great stuff about his father, his time covering sports, his new grandson. He somehow ties all of that together. Can't wait to talk to Damo once again, hopefully, as I said, after another Eagles win.
Yeah, excellent, excellent article. I, I did read that when it first came out, and uh, real nice, real nice. And and Damo's pretty proud of that grandson already, I can tell. <laughs> he sure is, posting lots of pictures, and we love it. Bill! Why? <laughs> yeah. No I'm gonna way! Sneak in, I am going to sneak in a random chat. This is Who how knew? we do it, Bill. I surprise you with stuff. I'm going to sneak in a random chat segment, first time this month. I have to do it, though. I'm going to even change my shirt for the occasion. So here goes, but I'll, I'll do that off camera. Uh, yes, random chat. And it, yeah, I'm going to, and it's about one of my favorite subjects. So uh, here we go, Bill. Ah, fall. It brings us cooler weather, lots of football, baseball's World Series, the new television season. And yes, all sorts of pumpkin spice or pumpkin inspired food and drink, including beers. Now, those of you who watch our Philly Press Box radio shows or follow me on Facebook or Instagram know that I'm something of a craft beer fan. Yeah, just a bit. Uh, let me give you a few of my fall favorites, okay? Remember, I'm not an IPA guy, so I can't really recommend any of the IPAs, although I'm sure there are plenty of good ones out there. First, there are a bunch of Oktoberfest beers that I liked last fall and a few more that I've sampled and enjoyed over the past few weeks all of which have an alcohol by volume content of 5 to 6%. There's Devil's Backbone Brewing, Ofest, Leinenkugel Brewing, Oktoberfest, Warsteiner Browries, Warsteiner Oktoberfest, and Oktoberfest, yeah, Oktoberfest from California's Firestone Walker Brewing that I just discovered recently. And from my old hometown area, Pottsville's Yingling and Son, a 5.4% Marzen-style Oktoberfest that is nice and smooth. A couple of great ones in that category, though, are these two that I just grabbed from my beer fridge. Samuel Adams Oktoberfest, 5.3% ABV. And from Philly's Yards Brewing Company, Unterdog Oktoberfest Lager, 6% alcohol by volume. Yum. Now, you want some good pumpkin-y beers, you say? Well, Leinenkugel apparently no longer makes the Harvest Patch Shandy that I loved the last couple of autumns. Shame on you, Leinenkugel. But you should be able to find all these others on my list, hopefully, anyway. Not bad are these two, Shipyard Brewings, Pumpkinhead Ale, just 4.5% ABV, and Two Roads Brewings, Rosemary's Baby, Pumpkin Ale. Great name. A bit stronger, too, at 6.8%. But better yet are these three from O'Fallon Brewery in Missouri, a basic pumpkin beer. A vanilla pumpkin ale, both of those 5.6% alcohol, and not for everybody perhaps, but a salted caramel pumpkin beer, 5.4% alcohol. But you know, maybe my favorite of the pumpkin beers is one from Sam Adams. It's just 4.4% alcohol by volume. It is a Jacko pumpkin ale, very tasty, and it goes down real smooth. There are all sorts of other fall shandies and lagers and mango wheat beers and whatnot for this season, but, hey, there's only so much time. Enjoy your autumn beers, and as always, drink responsibly. Good stuff. And, and, we, have a, and we had a uh, – this is like watching the Emmys. <laughs> garment, garment changes, you know. Costume change, and costume, fortunately yeah. – There you go. Fortunately, no costume malfunctions or whatever they call it. Fortunately, we, fortunately <laughs> we talked about beer and not the Emmys. I'm all good with that. Ah, uh, yeah, I'll be watching Sunday night. Yeah, you I go will. right ahead. You go yeah, right ahead. Yeah, I'll be yeah. watching football. Hey, I let's know. take a quick break and thank our friends at the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with 
certificates of authenticity. They continue to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. They've changed some things up with very popular mystery boxes and razzes with just 11 lines available. So your chances of winning are 1 in 11. Great odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room. That's right. PPCC 118 Raz Room on Facebook. Mr. Chesco, do we have a parting shot tonight? Actually, just three quick rest in peace mentions, Bill. Ooh. Former Eagles quarterback Rick Arrington. Uh, one of my favorite comedians, Saturday Night Live alum Norm MacDonald, who died Monday of cancer at the too young age of 61. And then closer to home, another comedian, a funny Philly guy, stand-up comic, author, and former WIP overnight host for quite a long time. That, of course, would be Big Daddy Graham, who left us last week due to various health issues at the age of 68. Met Big Daddy on three occasions. Great guy. Everybody who met him loves him. He somehow had a long career in radio despite a horrible voice. <laughs> Glenn <laughs> Macnell mentioned that in his uh, little tribute to him. He somehow, you know, survived, even though he talked like this. It's Big Daddy, you know. But he was great. Funny guy. So rest in peace, Big Daddy. Yeah, so many, so many great tributes to Big Daddy from just about everybody in the in the radio business in town and TV business as well. Anybody that knew him uh, said nothing but good things about him. Absolutely. How about Rick Happy Arrington? birthday. Yeah, Rick Arrington, the father of who? Jill Arrington. Yep. The broadcaster and the grandfather of? Dakota Fanning, L. Fanning. And L. Fanning. There, there you go. go. They are Jill Arrington's nieces. Wrap it up, Bill. And again, uh, happy birthday. Thank you, my man. Hey, by the way, Chad, I had to tell you, new venue again, as usual. I'm someplace else. Cape May, New Jersey for the first time that, uh, you know, I've been, I got a long list of locations. Cape <laughs> May tonight, beautiful by the sea. You get All around. Right, let's wrap, wrap it up. up. Let's thank tonight's special guest, Brandon Lee Galton. And Paul Hagen, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Raz Room, and Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester. For Jim Chechesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, September 22nd at 7 p.m. You can see us live on Facebook or listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com slash Radio. Or on Google Podcasts as well as Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and all the others. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans, and go birds. Let's do the song. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on.